All right, everyone. Welcome back to Check the Kick podcast. I am your host, Devin. And I just want to get started right away. Let's just just hop into it. Um, We're going to start with our first segment, Out with the Old. And we're going to be going over quite a few fights on the weekend. Pretty big weekend this past weekend. Um, But I want to start off with Jared Cannonier versus Marvin Vittori. Um, I believe Jared closed at a small underdog uh plus 120 plus 115 if i'm if i'm wrong totally um get after me in the comments um but i do believe that he closes a small underdog and um after dropping the first round where i thought marvin looked great in the first round hurt jared with a shot behind the ear right away his boxing looked good his his hand speed looked really good he, he was sitting down on his shots uh he was crushing Jared every time Jared went into the southpaw stance. Uh, good on Cruz for picking that up. Excuse me. Um, and about the last minute into the first round, after Jared got dropped, I believe twice, but definitely once, um, staggered all over the place. He was hurt. Marvin looked fast. Marvin looked big. He looked powerful. He looked bigger than Cannoneer, which is a pretty big surprise to me. Um, crazy that Cannoneer fought at heavyweight. But uh, again, last minute of that first round jared kind of you know got back he only started switching to southpaw to throw the kick and then he would you know throw the leg kick and get out of there finished the first round strong but clearly lost it after getting dropped and stung on the feet a bit um through the first about three and a half minutes there but the start of round two jared came in here gets a pretty easy 10-8 on my scorecard he kind of just walks the tory down and just drubs him, hitting him with big rights. He's definitely the more powerful guy. Vittori is so durable. I mean, Jared Kinnear landed the middleweight record for most significant strikes landed in a fight. And um, Vittori looked like it after the first round. There was tons of brutal ground and pound. He got the takedown. Um, his right hand was just firing. Vittori was just kind of pulling back with his defense. And that was kind of chewing, um, getting him chewed up a bit. Cannonier just looked good. He even mixed in his wrestling, and, and the fight kind of went all, all all downhill from there for Vittori. Vittori hung tough, um, and he was still firing back, having small moments here or there, but this was a big, you know, and this was a weekend where, where guys stepped up and, and had some great performances, some on the Bellator card that we'll touch on in a little bit, um, but Jared looked great here. The dude's 39. I don't, his cardio is incredible. He's clearly made improvements in the post-fight uh, speech. He said that, you know, against against Izzy in his previous fights that he did not have enough volume. And then here he goes, you know, fighting the way he fought tonight. And he wasn't even tired on the mic. He wasn't huffing and puffing. Um, super incredible performance from Cannoneer. Um, Vittori is just such a dog, too. There were so many moments where anyone else would have there were shots that he got hit with that I don't know anyone else in that division, quite frankly, could have taken. Like, can the champ take those shots? Like, Vittori got the shit beat out of him. Um, just not what I expected. Um, I was... I did a I did the um, pre-fight show with, with Ben... Um, fellow sure dog associate. And I said basically in, in the preview that it's kind of whoever um, is willing to take the front foot. And I said that on my own preview as well, like whoever was willing to take the front foot um, should win this fight. 
And Vittori just conceded to taking the back foot. He did the same thing against Delize and took a lot of big shots for it. Um, but his counter punching was just a little bit better. And Jared seemed to probably hit harder than Delize. Um, Jared hits really hard. I am just shocked. His ground and pound is he said it too. Like it, my ground and pound is concussive and fuck, it's it's vicious. His takedowns were there when he wanted them. Um anyone else in that division that got that pace put on him with that power punching, um, the kicks, the wrestling mixed in, like that was a performance that for me, I believe that he deserves to rematch Izzy after that. Um, if Duplessis beats Robert Whitaker, he would probably earn a shot over Izzy, especially with all the promotional stuff that Duplessis has been saying and with the media um, and beating Robert Whitaker is really impressive, but I don't think that's going to happen. And Izzy's already fought Robert Whitaker twice, violently knocked him out in the first fight and then had a kind of close fight in the second one that he still kind of clearly won for me. Um, and Jared didn't have the closest fight with Izzy, but he had his moments. And I would rather see him fight Izzy a second time at 39 years old after this performance than Robert Whitaker a third time. Um, Robert Whitaker's probably going to style on Duplessis just based off the style matchup. But I don't see Duplessis and Marvin Vittori on the same level right now. I think Mar a, a win over Marvin Vittori like this is going to be really hard to beat. You know, unless um, Abus just, Abus Pian just crushes Sean Strickland, but that's not really likely. Sean Strickland's pretty effing tough and pretty durable and just a guy kind of tough to look good against unless your name's Alex Pajera. Um, don't know what to do with Vittori after this because he took a lot of big shots in this fight. I mean, he definitely needs some time off. Um, this fight became one-way traffic pretty quick, too. Um, I was in the Sherdog Slack. A couple guys were all saying that Vittori looked pretty beefy. And after that first, after that first round, he kind of seemed tired. Um, and he just didn't have an answer. I don't, I'm not going to say his corner failed him. Um, but what I'm going to say is I think that he probably should have tried to mix in his wrestling a little bit or maybe try to slow things down against the cage. They only told him to stop circling away from the power. They didn't give him Marvin Vittori is too well-rounded to just kind of get shit kicked on the feet and not try other things. In my opinion, I don't know a, a kinder or, or more clear way to say it, but um, like he has the ability to turn to wrestling and why not like really press it and really try it. Um, if he kind of getting eaten up on the feet, um, maybe the success that he had in the beginning kind of blinded him for what was happening past that. Um, they both did win 50 grand uh, fight of the night. I'm okay with that. I'd be okay with Jared Kinnear getting a performance bonus. Like he's freaking 39. Like what? Like this is what Glover Teixeira did at this, you know, up, up a division and Glover looked way older at 40, you know, even in this fight with Yuri, then Jared looked against Vittori tonight. Jared doesn't look like a 39-year-old man. He Just that alone is incredible. Um, mixed with this cardio, mixed with this power, his ability to switch it up. His ground and pound might be the heaviest in that division. Um, his ground and pound is freaking brutal, man. Shout out to Jared Cannonier. Um, The dude went back, made adjustments, came back. Um, 
kick the guy's ass that's fought for the title that is a title challenger um just just super impressive uh matchmake for vittori he said he wanted to welcome hamzat to the division i think that would be a way to expedite hamza into the title picture if that's something the ufc wanted to do um i could see them also matching up someone like uh, ikram alaskarov i know ikram is is uh, matched up with paulo costa however the likelihood of paulo costa fighting it's probably not likely in my opinion and i could see them maybe trying to match ikram against vittori or maybe even if Ikram beats Costa again, but I just don't know how I feel about that fight happening. Um, and then for Jared, he's probably the biggest Sean Strickland fan and probably the biggest um, Whitaker fan, and he probably hopes they win boring fights coming up in their next two fights. And I think, you know, Jared should get the title shot. F it. You know, he looked great. He's 39. He's not going to have this chance again. Um and if you were to figure out a way to, to beat Izzy, you know, maybe he has a 30% shot, but he's got the power. He's got the tools, you know. Um, shout out to him again. Um, moving on to the co-main event was uh, Armin Sarukian versus Joaquim Silva. And Armin Sarukian won 95% of this fight, except the moment that he got buzzed um, in the second round. He went out there kind of outstruck him a bit and then took him down and, you know, crushed him on the ground in the first round, second round. Um, I just don't think, and he's still young and he's so good. He's such a good athlete. One of the best athletes in the division, you know, just based off, you know, physical athletic ability. He, I, I put him next to someone like Michael Chandler or Fizzy or someone just explosive, fast as shit, strong as hell. You can tell when he grabs these guys that he looks smaller than he's just so incredibly strong. Um, and uh, Joaquim Silva's huge. Like, he's so, he's a giant man for that division. And that's something I think didn't get said enough um, throughout the fight week up to this fight. But uh, Armin looked great. I don't want to count him getting buzzed in the second round too much against him because even after he got clipped, like, right away, he went to his grappling and then just literally grabbed the reins of that fight right back. You know, he he might have veered off the road a little bit, but he, he recorrected and you know, got back on track right away. And there were moments where he was kind of having, I think something he's going to learn from this fight is to just respect his opponents a little bit more. Um, you know, you want to be brash. You want to be confident. These fighters are, are mentally different than the average person. And they have to be, to be a fighter, especially if you think you can be a world champion, you just have to be kind of, you know, a little bit, a little bit cuckoo. Um, but I think he just wanted to try his striking. And then he had kind of a, a lazy clinch game where he was staying around in the clinch too long. I, th I think he's too fast and too athletic to be hanging around in the clinch with someone like Joaquim. That's big and strong. Um, there were moments where Joaquim would kind of, you know, crush him going in and out of that lazy clinch a little bit. Just kind of a lazy collar die. It was weird, like a, a transition um, that he was trying to go for between striking and grappling. Um, Armin's kicks were great. His kicks were firing. His boxing looked good. Um, he's so incredibly fast and, and the finishing sequence in the, in the third round after he got buzzed, um, he went back to his corner and he was probably just like, man, I'm not effing around with this dude again. F that he took him down and just crushed him, started drubbing his head off the canvas. That was awesome. Um, again, he's a young kid. We can't really, 
anyone that's saying he's done, he's done just because he got buzzed in a fight against a guy that's a known big puncher that has a puncher's chance. Okay, he got buzzed, but did he do all the right things after? Yes. And what happens if someone like Dustin Poirier buzzes him like that? Well, he can have a problem. But Dustin Poirier is also one of the best boxers in the UFC and one of the best swarming punchers in the UFC. That's Dustin Poirier. You know, and he, you know, he's not in the place to be fighting Dustin Poirier. Quite frankly, he's not, you know, I think he's above the place of Joaquim Silva. However, you know, maybe he wouldn't even think about making those mistakes if you put him in a fight like that. And hopefully this is the lesson that he takes from that, like to just have a little bit more respect for his opponents. And if you find a sliver of success in MMA, just build the rest of your game off of it in that fight. You know, if you... There are some fighters that will come into a fight with a strict game plan. And there are some fighters that, you know, have things that they do and they kind of just get in there and fight. Um, I believe that you should have a game plan, but I also think your plan B should be an extremely solid plan B to where if your plan A doesn't work, you know, kind of almost right away, you can fall back on that plan B and dominate. Um, in an MMA, if you just have if you have a sliver of success or you're just a little bit better in that one thing, you need to just build off of it. And in this fight, his grappling was so much better than Joaquim Silva's. Um, and he knew that. He found that out in the first round. Um, I think he could have just gone out there and crushed him. And he he kind of, you know, did screw around and and maybe test his striking in the second round. But again, I, I do hope he learns from it. Um, good on him, good win. He's calling for a big fight. Quite frankly, he deserves it. I understand why nobody wants to fight him. Um, he's ranked number eight on the UFC rankings. Um, I think, pretty sure I saw a tweet where he said something along the lines of, uh, hey, Michael Chandler, if you think you're fighting Conor McGregor, you're just as dumb as your fight IQ or whatever that that may be. Um, a little bit of a bold statement to make after tonight, but good on him. He's a young kid. Um, I think him and Michael Chandler makes kind of all the sense in the world. Michael Chandler probably won't take that fight, but maybe. Um, depends on where it is. Maybe like in Abu Dhabi or something. Maybe they can pay Michael Chandler a good bit of money to fight out in Abu Dhabi. Um, if not, if Justin Gaethje loses the BMF fight, Justin Gaethje has talked about retiring. And I have a weird feeling he may retire after that fight. If he loses to Dustin Poirier, you can only imagine how he's going to look. But if for some weird reason he loses to Dustin Poirier and he decides to stay around in the UFC, I think him and Justin Gaethje may be cool, or maybe him and Rafael Fiziev may be cool. Um, and all of those need to be like a five-round main event fight. Um, Armin Sarukian doesn't need to fight for three rounds anymore. If he wants these big opportunities, he needs to fight five-round fights, um, and he can do it. You know, I know I said Abu Dhabi. That's He would not be a main event in Abu Dhabi. But um, if he doesn't fight like in Abu Dhabi, um, then give him a five-round main event, you know, somewhere the UFC seems to be on the road again. Take him to Tennessee or do that shit in an arena in Vegas. I don't know. Just don't do it in the Apex. Um, Joaquin Silva, not much to say about him. Um, he took a fight and lost the fight. Big step up. Hurt Armin. Still got finished himself. Um he needs to just fight someone around him in the rankings, wherever that is. But yeah, 
I don't, I don't know how much longer he'll be even he probably won't fight again for freaking six or eight months i don't see him having a fast turnaround so next i really want to talk about manuel torres um super impressive knockout one minute 50 seconds against nicholas mata um got kind of buzzed by mata but we knew that was probably going to happen um in the pre-fight show i did with uh again ben um fellow shirt dog associate the show he, he has i kind of picked manuel to be just a more durable guy and maybe get hurt and then crush nicholas motto with something did i think it was going to be one of the best elbow knockouts you'll see in mma point blank period like matt brown diego sanchez shit nope did not think that but that's what this was um absolutely incredible it was like Mata got struck by lightning it was like manuel torres hit him in the head with thor's hammer so fast so quick nice short elbow right in the pocket and just cut Mata in half drop them right away fell just i mean again it was like he got hit by lightning that's how fast he dropped um manuel torres maybe you know it depends on what the ufc wants to do with him um slow roll this guy um the ufc seems to have um seems to be in favor of their mexican fighters lately and that's great they should be because mexican mexico is a great nation with a bunch of tons of great fighters um really wanted to get him out there that was uh, just a great win by him that gosh go watch it back guys like that's one where you gotta go run the tape back it's three minutes of your life just go start from the beginning of the fight watch him get hurt watch their just almost brawl they're kind of both just brawling with each other and then Manuel Torres just got Mata backed up against the cage and just threw that chopping elbow right in the pocket right up the middle and just crush Mata um super super awesome um on the preliminary card I, I want to shout out Alessandro Costa um you know debuted short notice tough fight for him against a good guy in Albazi but came back and you know kind of beat the shit out of Jimmy Flick um Flick went Flick's a guy that went from you know getting a flying triangle against Cody Durden and then retiring, writing a book, having tons of fame about his, his, you know, his life story is crazy. Getting a lot of fame and a lot of media hype from that to getting finished, coming back out of retirement and then just getting finished twice to back to back. And Alessandro Costa looked great. His body punching looked great. He killed flicks, killed flick with leg kicks. I mean, just brutal, brutal stuff. He looked great. Um, I don't know if this is for Flick much anymore. Um, I hate to say that, but this may be a sign that he he might want to go and take a look at what he's doing, take a look at his family. I know he's got a family. I've seen his story. He's got kids. He's got his father around him, but I just don't see I don't know why he started even trying to wrestle, uh, you know, one and a half rounds into this fight. Like that's, that's his game. He's a submission dude. Like he needs to, he should have been trying that from the beginning. Um, Alessandro Costa just seemed like the bigger dude, the more athletic, his, again, his body punching, his hand speed looked great. Um, Going to the body and then coming up over the top, crushing the head. Um, Great stuff. And then those leg kicks were just, again, just brutal. Um, one last thing just two honorable mentions um 
Pat Sabatini literally looked like he had been staying in Dagestan. Um, Pat Sabatini from Eagles MMA. His grappling looked incredible tonight. And he's been a guy that comes from a camp where I see that, you know, I feel like some of those guys get a little uh, frazzled when they're on the feet absorbing damage. But he looked incredible tonight. Just crushed Lucas Almeida like 10-8 in the first round. Came out, crushed him again. Um, got the head and arm triangle and just kind of squeezed his head off. That was awesome. And then Armin Petrosian coming in against a highly touted uh, Christian Leroy Duncan. That was pretty impressive by Petrosian um, to just stay in there. The commentary was very lopsided on this fight. And they kind of, you know, halfway through round two, they're like, oh, maybe Petrosian is winning this fight. And I'm just like, yeah, I think he's kind of been winning. Um, the whole time, Christian Leroy seems like his MMA game is really weird. He's a big, tall, long guy. He had an eight-inch reach advantage. He's, sh he's shorter than Armin by a couple inches, but had an eight-inch reach advantage. Didn't have a jab in this fight. Was throwing a lot of weird spinning stuff, um, closing guard on bottom. He did get up a couple times, but, you know, when Armin Petrosian is taking you down, that's a problem. Um, he had an undefeated record up until this point professionally, but his amateur record, he had a couple losses there. Um, so losing isn't really anything new to Christian Leroy Duncan. He has such a strange MMA game. I think he may need to go build a jab. He's such a, you know, big, athletic, long guy, has good power. Um so maybe go build a boxing game. He just kind of seems to be like a kicking first fighter, you know, similar to like John Jones, but like there's a reason why only John Jones has ever got away with a kind of limited boxing game and having a striking be based around his kicks. Um, I don't know if Christian Leroy Duncan is that guy, um, but man, just, just, just learn the job. Um, bunch of great, this fight was, this card was great. A little bit of controversy with the, with the Carlos Hernandez thing with the headbutt. Um, and, the, and then the early stoppage with Dan Argetto, Ronnie Lawrence, where Keith Peterson came and, you know, kind of made Ronnie Lawrence tap in a weird way. You guys got to go watch that back. I don't want to stay, spend too much time on that, but that was weird. Um, card started off a little bit weird, but all in all, a, a pretty damn good card. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, now we have to shift over to Bellator. This was a pretty big weekend for them. Uh, Pitbull moving down a division. Um, this is a guy that knocked out Michael Chandler for the 155 pound belt in Bellator, um, hopped down a division and held the title for a very long time at featherweight. Um, then you hopped down another division and he was trying to challenge for the bantamweight title against Sergio Pettis. Um, he even talked about going to flyweight cause they're opening a flyweight division. Um, huge, huge grasp at, something incredible and pitbull's already done a lot of great things for bellator but uh friday night that was all sergio pettis um sergio pettis hit him with that spinning wheel kick in, at one point and wobbled him sergio pettis looked so much faster um pitbull got a couple takedowns but uh i think he was like two for eight or two for six or something like that i don't have the stats in front of me but um, Sergio's takedown defense looked great. His ability to fight off the back foot was incredible. Um, it was kind of weird to see Pitbull um, basically digress back to and devolve back into like a swinging cling guy because he had no answer for Sergio Pettis's hand speed. Pitbull would throw one overhand and try to get in the clinch. 
and Sergio would fire like a four punch combination and all mixing it to the body and just crush pit pitbull like over and over again. I think pitbull pitbull's always kind of been the smaller guy, maybe the more faster guy. And I think that bit him in the ass a little bit, uh, moving down to bantamweight where he seemed to not be as durable. He seemed to be pretty lethargic. Um, did not really have many answers to deal with Sergio besides throw big bombs and then try to clinch. And he just couldn't slow Sergio down. Sergio was also coming off of like an 18 month layoff, I believe where he had to have like ACL MCL surgery. And like, he came off a knee injury and looked like this. He, he looked great. This like, this is kind of how he looked against Juan Archuleta where he was just way faster in the pocket. Um, mixing up the striking, that spinning wheel click kick that he clipped Pitbull right in the temple with was just like awesome. Had him on Queer Street right away when he clipped him with that. Any more time in that round, he probably could have finished him. Um, it, it, you could score all you could score all the rounds for him. Um, I believe one judge did gave him a 50, 50 45 and then the other three, 49, 46, where I, I think maybe it's a third round that that or maybe the first round. Um, where you could give it to Pitbull, maybe. But again, if you watch this fight, it was just kind of a schooling where Sergio just pretty much very nip-tuck performance, better hand speed, better better almost everything. His defensive wrestling against Pitbull was really impressive. I hadn't seen anybody really, really defend takedowns like that against Pitbull. Um, for me, this is more impressive than the, the first time uh, AJ McKee beat Pitbull. Um, we kind of just like hurt him right away and finished him right away. I think this was more, more of just like a pure outclassing, like Sergio Pettis beat him in just about every aspect of MMA. Um, freaking awesome. Shout out to Sergio Pettis. He even, you know, there's a interview that came out post fight where he said, Hey, I kind of prepared myself to lose this fight. I told myself, hell, if I lose this fight, at least I lost to Pitbull. The next person um, the winner of this was supposed to, is supposed to be fighting Patchy Mix, who won their bantamweight Grand Prix, who he has a title too. I guess, you know, if this were the UFC, he'd be like a uh, interim champ. Um, Patchy, they did a face-off. Patchy looked huge, and Patchy Mix is really, really good. That's going to be a freaking hell of a fight. Before this fight happened, I favored Patchy Mix to beat probably either one of them, quite frankly. Um, I think Patch, Patchy Mix is just surging right now. Um but after that, I don't know. His wrestling defense, Sergio's wrestling defense looked incredible, and his hand speed looked so good, good power. That's going to be a hell of a fight. Like, those two dudes are great. Um, those are two guys right now that I feel like could actually come over to the UFC and do pretty well if they were to hop into bantamweight right now. Like, I imagine a fight with Marab Devonishvili and Sergio Pettis. The way that Sergio Pettis looked, it'd be great. Freaking Patchy Mix and Aljamain, that would be an incredible grappling because they have a very similar grappling style. Um, Patchy Mix is huge, though. They Again, they did a face-off him and Sergio in the in the cage after, and Patchy is just giant compared to him. He towered over him, and that back-take game of Patchy Mix is really incredible. Um, and then his knee knockout of Hoffion Stotts. That was just beautiful. Um, Yoel Romero lost to Nemkov. Um, Yoel's 46. He looked 46. Um, still so durable. And uh, he won one round. Um, but 
Nemkov was just way faster. You all had no answers. He even resulted to like salsa dancing and, you know, doing the drunken fighter, rolling around. He he had no answers for Nemkov. Nemkov was kind of firing on all cylinders. Um, Nemkov even stated in his post-fight interview that he hit you know, so many shots. He doesn't know how he, you know, he doesn't know what his head was made of. Um, you all shouldn't be fighting for titles. Like I get what Bellator is doing. He's like their biggest star, one of their biggest stars. Um, but like, he shouldn't be fighting for titles. Just put him in fights where you, he's 46. Just put him in like super favorable fights. It's Bellator. You guys have people that he can beat. Like, don't put him against Phil Davis in this next fight. Don't do that. Like, you are not going to be getting the most out of him if you have him fighting the most elite guys at this point. Again, he's 46. He's moved up from welterweight, welterweight, sorry, middleweight. Most of his, you know, the best stuff he's done in his career were down at middleweight. He's moved up. Again, he's 46. He's still got all the power and the athleticism. Just let him fight dudes he's going to beat. And if they beat him, they, you know, Shit, maybe it's time for him to go, but give you all a super favorable matchup. Um, Nemkov, Corey Anderson looked great against Phil Davis. I think they should just fight a third time. Corey Anderson looked great in their first fight, was on his way to winning, in my opinion. And then, you know, Nemkov, you know, made the right adjustments and came back and won. Uh, won their second fight. Give Corey Anderson another shot. There's no one else there anyway, you know? Like, what's he going to do? Have Brian have Bader come down so he can get knocked out again? No. Just give it to Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson also looked great against Phil Davis. Um, Bellator's pacing is just such a slog watching. They fit like four fights in three hours on the main card. It was just like incredible. Like, come on, guys. Like, you just please, please pick it up. Um, PFL also happened Friday night. Um, their their main event was uh, Anti Delia versus Maurice Green. Um, Andy Delia, I think he had to have like a first round finish to move on, um, to the next step of the, the season playoffs. Um, Maurice Green is, is a big dude. Uh, he had John Jones in the corner. The PFL did a super corny. Oh God. They're just sidebar. The PFL is just like parading Francis around. Like, look what I got. You know, they had Deontay there, which that was a missed opportunity for the PFL. They should have um, had Francis and Deontay Wilder do a face-off, not Francis and John Jones, where they're not going to fight each other because they can't. Um, it, was, it was weird. Anyway, um, back to Maurice Green, uh, Antidelia. Antidelia wins the fight. Uh, John Jones was telling Maurice Green that he was winning the fight in the corner and this is what you need to do to win. Maurice Green was shocked he lost that fight. I think that's crazy. Um, bro, you kind of lost that fight pretty clearly to me. Um, he did have a good start to the fight. First round, Antidelia just seemed like he needed to kind of get woken up. And maybe Antidelia didn't want to move on to this. It was weird. Um, not much to talk about there. It's PFL matchmaking. It's it's so it's it's weird, and I just don't think their roster is big enough. Like there's so many of the guys that are already fighting two and three times. Um freaking they're one of their most impressive fighters right now. Freaking Larissa Pacheco. And she did Larissa Pacheco things to Amber Lebrock. Um, only took her like 50 seconds. She crushed her. Um, Larissa Pacheco, 145. She's made so many improvements. Um, I want to just pull up her record really quickly. 
because this is this is something that it needs to be talked about. You know, something needs to be talked about. She she was in the UFC and she was like 20. She was really young. Um and she's got she had two losses in the UFC where she got finished. Um one of them to Jessica Andrade. This was in 2014. And then in 2015 she lost via TKO punches to GDR Jermaine Durandamy. This is a this was and she and her loss to Jessica Andrade was was via submission. She got guillotined. Um prior to that, like in 2013 she she knocked out Irene Aldana. She had a she was on a winning streak. And this is over 10 years ago, but like a ton of finishes in a row, got to the UFC, dropped two fights, um, beat Carol Hosa after leaving the UFC, which that's a good win. Lost to Kayla Harrison in the PFL in 2019. Um, won two more fights, beat Sarah Kaufman. She lost to Kayla Harrison again. And then went on a knockout streak where she knocked a bunch of people out. And that was in 2021. All through 2021, up through 2022, knocked everyone out. End of the year, end of the year last year, she beats Kayla Harrison. Super impressive. Finally gets that one back. And then she goes on to beat Julia Budd and then now crushes Amber Lee Brock. Like she's got good wins on her record. Yeah, she has a couple other stuff like Olena Kolsaic. And then she's beat her twice. Like, you know, Jenny, Jenna Fabian. Like those aren't the best girls, but like Julia Budd, that's a good win. Beating Kayla Harrison in 2022, that's a great win. Carol Hosa, Sarah Kaufman. Like Irene Aldana, like she has good names on her record. Um, Larissa Pacheco, like it's too bad that we wouldn't. If Amanda Nunes would ever fight anyone again, Larissa Pacheco is the one that I would like to see her fight at 145 pounds. Um, Larissa Pacheco crushed Lee Brock, no respect, walked her down. She was at a lot of physical disadvantages. She definitely had the power advantage, but um, Lee Brock definitely had the reach. She's six feet tall, super long. And Lee Brock was trying to earn her respect back. And she tried to plant her feet and fire back at Pacheco. But Pacheco was just raining hellfire. So much power. So many bombs. It's it just incredible knockout. Like, go back and, go back and watch that one, guys. That that one was was really, really awesome. Um, Dennis Golslov got the fastest knockout in PFL heavyweight history. Um, that was really cool. He just kind of one-punched Jorgen DeCastro. Um all around some pretty cool fights on the weekend. There, there was definitely, um, you can go and handpick your fancy. There's three different organizations that have three pretty big cards on. Um, I definitely think the UFC did the best, but, uh, go back and watch some of these fights guys. That, that one this weekend was good. Um, and then finally next, after this, we're going to move on to the next segment. What's hot. Okay, guys, welcome back. We're going to go ahead and move on to segment two of the show called What's Hot. And in this segment, again, we're going to go over kind of just hot topics on what's trending right now um, in MMA news-wise. Um, and there's been some rumblings lately and, and just a lot of weird stuff going on with uh, judging um, in MMA. Israel Adesanya has been very vocal about this um, just in the public. He was speaking on things like verdict mma which is a uh, app you can download and score fights as a fan through the mma community and this kind of all stems back to the uh kai car france and uh, amir al-bazi fight which is a couple weeks back but it's still trending so i kind of wanted to touch on it a little bit and give my ideas 
um, on just judging in MMA alone. Uh, there's the problems that we have is these guys work for the athletic commissions. They don't get paid a lot of money to do this. Um, it, it's definitely a, a, a thankless job where you never hear people saying, well, the judges did a great job or the athletic commission did a great job with this one. Um, but the, the problem is, is, you know, you go back to just up, up on the card that we're going to be breaking down the, the Macy Barber versus Andrea Lee fight, like Dan Mergliata was judging that and refing as well on a, on a card. And it happens so often where there's, where you have judges that are refing and then refs that are judging all in the same night. And, you know, it might not happen for the highest level fights, but it still happens. You have, you know, that one, that one, uh, person that works for the Texas athletic state commission, I believe his name escapes me, but there was a, a, a lower, a lower level regional, um, fight where he kind of just let an opponent basically die. And then he went on to not even 24 hours later, judge, um, a UFC event. And that's just kind of, you know, like stuff like that should not be happening. Um, not at this level. I think the best way to really mitigate any further issues would be to number one, pay these people like a real wage to where they're not just doing this like as hobbyists, they are doing it because they're actually being paid a fair wage, paying people a fair wage, paying them more money would make this a pretty serious job for them. They take it more seriously. I think that would be something that would really help them. Um, you know, if you, paid someone 10 bucks an hour to do a job or you paid that person 20 bucks an hour to do the job more than likely the person getting paid 20 bucks an hour is, is going to give you a, you know just do a better job give you a better result and i think that's kind of what they should do here um and there's other ideas that i have too where i, I think you know looking back at a fight like the uh sean strickland and jared cannonier fight where I felt like Sean Strickland just did the better work, but Jared Cannonier landed the more impactful, harder punches. And I think judges can be kind of confused by that. Um, I think that there should, you know, I wouldn't be mad if they had five judges and I wouldn't be mad if they had judges watching a similar broadcast to what we watch, um, but just without audio. So they can't be, you know, um, confused by commentary. Um, maybe just shove them in a dark room, watch it on a small screen, you know, with no uh, conflicting interactions and nothing that can, can bug them. You know, they can take their piss breaks in between fights like we do when we're watching them, but, you know, be a hundred percent focused. I don't think that ex fighters or ex coaches should have anything involved with judging. I think stuff like that's almost a terrible idea where there's just too many conflicts of interest gym battles, gym versus gym, you know, you fought my best friend, you fought my training partner, all that type of shit. And we, we, we should just totally avoid that. Um, I think even verdict, quite frankly, they seem to get it right. Often the fan base seems to get it right. However, that could be buried with biases as well. There could be some definite underlying biases. Um, you know, for, for example, if there's a fighter I favor versus a fighter that I might not favor, and they have a close round, I might just lean to the person I like more. You could totally see that happening. Um, and I don't know um, what the UFC can do about this because the UFC can't pay the, they can't pay judges. 
you know, I know that the UFC kind of has their own athletic commission when they go to places like um, Abu Dhabi and, and stuff like that. And they probably will have their own when they go to Singapore coming up. Uh, there will be a, a fight happening in Singapore for the UFC. Um, kind of a way for them to step on one FC's toes. But anyway, um, it would just be way too much of a conflict of interest. Um, I think judging is very important because people's livelihoods depend on it. Kai Kara France lost a hundred thousand dollars basically. And, you know, I do agree with what Izzy said about, Hey, this guy's got a family and you know, the money matters for, for everyone. Um, shoot. I just tapped my camera. Sorry. Um, the money matters for everyone. And, and, you know, people like Izzy that are fighting for millions of dollars or people that are brand new to the UFC fighting for 12 and 12 off the contender series. Those people, they all deserve a fair shake. Um, if you guys have anything that you'd recommend on uh, MMA judging or what these athletic commissions can do to kind of make things better, um, please comment your ideas. I kind of want to see what everyone has to say about this. Um, not a ton to say about it, but it's just been something that's circling in the media and I kind of wanted to get a little bit of it off my chest. Um, scoring, I kind of think they have a good idea about it too. I think that, uh, you know, judging impact and damage is important in a fight because that's what really matters most. Um, but then you hear guys like Dominic Cruz, you know, skewing the idea of damage where he cut him and, you know, now he's bleeding. Is that what the judges see as damage? Um, and I'm not sure. I think it's discretionary, unfortunately. I think every single person has their own idea on how they read the rules and how they need to, um, you know, enforce the rules and the scoring and everything like that. And that's kind of, you know, Every person's going to be different. And I think that's maybe why they could incorporate two more judges, maybe have two or three cage side and then two or three in the back and, you know, the best of five. So if you get three, you know, a split decision would be, you know, three judges score the fight one way, two score it the other way. Um, 10 point must systems kind of flawed, I think, for MMA because there's just not enough 10, eight rounds. But also, too, I don't know if I fully agree with, like, the Pride or One style where they just score the overall bout. Overall bout. Um, some things definitely need to change, though, and unfortunately, I don't have all the best ideas. Um, just some, and I'm sure they're similar to probably what a lot of you guys have. Um, but that kind of ends that one. Um, moving on to the most hot topic in MMA right now, a guy that just seemed to not be able to stay out of trouble. Uh, Conor McGregor. Firstly, it seems like he's probably not fighting Michael Chandler. Um, unfortunately for Chandler, that's probably just not going to happen. Um, he had a hell of a night a couple Fridays ago where he punched the mascot, sent him to the hospital, and then all of these um, assault, to say it very lightly, allegations have come out against him um, where a woman has made these allegations from that night. Um, supposedly he brought her into a handicap stall and you guys can read the report. It's kind of disturbing for me, quite frankly, and I don't know if I want to go too deep into it, but there are some things that have been alleged against them. Again, they're alleged, so they're not true. Um, but the statements kind of gross. Um, kind of effed up and there is a video of him um i think it was actually released by tmz of course a video of him like kind of leading this woman into the bathroom um 
some things conspired and supposedly she was like able to elbow her way out and and get out of there and if this was just a one-off i'd be like "Eh, i don't know but this seems to keep happening with connor um you know he had the other incident in miami where he like knocked the fan's phone out of his hand um the issues with the with the boat in corsica i believe or croatia i'm not too sure where that was um but a, a woman claimed to be assaulted on his boat um you know, punching the old guy in the bar. He has had other allegations against him. Um, just so many things to where if there's smoke, there's fire. Clearly, there seems to be some sort of a problem. I mean, I don't. I am not worth nearly the money that Connor is worth, not even one millionth of a fraction. But like, I'm not doing these things. We're a similar age. I'm not doing them. I'm sure none of these listeners are are doing this. Um it's a problem. You are, even if everything comes out to be false, even if all these allegations against him are not true and they go to court, they find it to all be fake. Say that's, say that's the case. He is still putting himself in a situation to even have these, you know, allegations placed on him. Like, what are you even doing there, man? Like you don't need to be hanging out in the, I think they still call it the Miami airlines arena. Like, what are you doing? You don't need to be there. You have plenty of money. You have all the money in the world. Just get on your yacht and and float away. There's nothing that... There's no reason why you should be involved in these situations where you are being seen on camera taking a woman into a bathroom. You've got a fiancé with three kids and another one on the way that you just talked about. Um, It's like, what the fuck is he doing? Um, doesn't seem like he's fighting Chandler. He's had until just the other day to enter the USADA testing pool. I know with Connor's pull and all of that stuff, you know, the UFC might just say the hell with it. We don't need, you know, we, we gave him one test and that's fine. And they will probably bend and break the rules for Connor. But all of these allegations, him not entering the USADA testing pool and if you watch the latest episode of the ultimate fighter, there is a moment where he was talking about like taking the pain, grabbing it and absorbing it. He he's seems to be out of touch. And he says, I'm going to be with the fight game forever. And his, he's got a big ego and that's clear, but I just, he's on an Island. He's just on an Island of his own now. Um, I don't know if he ever fights MMA again, from what I'm seeing, the way he's acting, I would be almost really surprised if he fights again, Um, you know, and not for Connor's sake, but for the alleged victim's sake, you know, I kind of hope that this stuff didn't happen to her because it seems pretty terrible. And, you know, people that say, oh, this is just a money grab. This is just a money grab. If you read the report and you hear about what happened, like outside of whatever stuff she's, they may try to go after him legally for, like nobody wants to go to court and battle that out and live through that again. Like it seemed pretty effing terrible, the allegations. Um, and I personally am not surprised. Um, wouldn't be surprised if all of it was true. He's had so much stuff happened. He um, seems very manic. There was a, um, the second episode of the ultimate fighter, uh, Cody Gibson, he's on Michael Chandler's team. He knocked out Connor's, uh, he knocked out 
one of Connor's guys. He hit him with the jump knee and flattened him. Impressive performance performance by uh, Cody Gibson. But looping back to Cody, what he said, there was an interview that got posted where he was talking about Connor in the house. And he's like, you know, one night he'll be up till crazy hours partying with, you know, the guys on his team that he's coaching. The next night he's acting normal. One day he's this, one day he's that. And uh, Cody Gibson said he kind of reminds him of someone that suffers from like a bipolar disorder. Um, I don't know if this is fueled by alcoholism. Seems like Connor likes to have a drink or two. I don't know if it's, you know, also maybe alcohol mixed with some other substances, but that just kind of also even more solidifies like where Connor's at. This is a dude that worked with him and shot a whole TV show with him. And he said that Connor was just all over the place. Um, I hope he gets his shit together for his family. And I hope, you know, regardless of the outcome of, from, of this, I hope he really learns from it. Um, because these types of things should not be happening. Um, his former opponent, Habib Nurmagomedov, a guy that, you know, wouldn't say has similar money to Connor, but is definitely a very wealthy man that has come from fighting. Um, you don't hear any of these types of things happening about him. And he's still out there doing stuff. Um, so if one guy can do it, the other guy can. I think just Connor just really needs to get his uh, get his stuff together. Um, comment if you're on YouTube watching and you can comment. Comment down below and tell me what you think if Connor fights again. Tell me if you think he fights Chandler or if you think he fights someone lower in the rankings. I think if Connor fights again, it's not going to be this year for sure might not even be first half or even first quarter first quarter or first half of 2024 they might be able to rally him back in for the end of 2024 if that's the case Chandler's going to already have a fight made and they'll probably put him against someone that's pretty low level he's ballooned up so big too like he, he you know part of his mystique was him being the big athletic dude at 145 now he's just a you know big sausage that probably will be at welterweight and I'll probably fight a blown up um, lightweight, probably fight someone like Tony Ferguson or something like that, which would suck. But um, yeah, enough of Connor. I I hope for his family, he gets his shit figured out. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and move on to segment three of the show. And this segment is called in with the new, we're going to go ahead and go over and kind of pick slash handicap uh, some of the fights coming up on this weekend. Pretty big card. Uh, UFC on ABC 5 starts pretty early in the morning. It's like 8.30 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, which is my time zone. Um, and just to start it off, top of the card, Ilya Tapuria versus Josh Emmett. Um, I love both these guys. These guys are great. Uh, let me go grab the odds of this fight. Odds on this fight, uh, Tapuria is a pretty heavy favorite. He's a minus 310 um josh emmett comes back at, at plus 260 just right away i don't know if i love the odds um i'll dig into that a little bit more but i, I think that this should probably be a little bit more of like a minus 160 uh plus 145 plus 140 something like that plus 135 i think that's kind of where it should be where topuria should be a slight favorite um topuria's got a 13 and 0 record um great wins uh last time out kind of crushed Bryce Mitchell looked great in that fight. Josh Emmett's coming off that loss in the interim title bout. 
uh, versus Yair Rodriguez, where he did look pretty good. He had a couple moments, but he had a lot of time, just a lot of trouble dealing with a uh, tough time dealing with Yair Rodriguez is just really unorthodox, weird striking, but Yair is going to do that to everyone. Even Max Holloway had a little bit of trouble with his striking and I, you know, assume Volk might too, but Josh Emma did have moments in there. He, he clipped, clipped Yair, hurt him. Um, in that fight, and and Emmett's got some good wins. He's got a, a, a highly contested split decision over Calvin Cater. Still won that fight close enough to win it. Um, he has a win over Dan Ige. A bunch of good wins on his bunch of good wins on his record. I'll just pull it up right here. Let's just take a look really quick. Before that, Shane Burgos. Before that one, knocked out Mersad Bektic, and then the uh, very viral knockout of him knocking out Michael Johnson. Um, pretty uh, crazy comeback from that, too, because he suffered a very vicious knockout loss to Jeremy Stevens. I think everyone remembers that. He had to get like facial reconstructive surgery, um, knocked out really bad, broke his whole face, and not many dudes would have came back from that. And for him to come back and, and go on a win streak, he won five fights in a row. Um, after coming back, his problem was he just, he just, you know, never fought enough and he's an older fighter now. He's see 37. Let me see. 38. He's 38 years old. And we just saw, you know, earlier on the show, we were talking about Jared Cannonier at 39 years old, um, coming off of a win against Marvin Vittori kind of beat the brakes off of him, but that's at middleweight and middleweight is basically like, a mini version of heavyweight where you can be an old guy that can kind of stick around. And quite frankly, Jared Cannonier is an anomaly. We don't know if Josh Emmett is that anomaly. And that's probably why the odds are skewed. So one way towards Taporia where, you know, Josh Emmett does have a lot of skills that match pretty well with Taporia, in my opinion. Um, however, he is 38. He did just get finished in a fight. Um, what they do as far as boxing that's what these guys like to do when it comes to striking. Uh, Topuria is probably a little bit more of a well-rounded guy. He has a really incredible wrestling and, and even better uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu game uh, coming out of the country of Georgia by way of Spain. Um, in the pocket, I think Topuria is a little bit less defensively sound, but I think that also is where he finds his most success, and he is less defensively sound because he really relies on offense. He is vicious in the pocket. Like, look what he did to Jai Herbert. Um, Ilya Tapuria is an incredible body puncher. He's got big power. Both of these guys are similar stature, similar reach, um, kind of shorter guys for the division, but definitely bricked up. Um, Tapuria is probably the faster guy with faster hands. I would say Josh Emmett is a little bit lower volume, um, but he's probably a little bit um a little bit more defensively sound and he might hit a little bit harder, but they both crack. And I think the little bit difference in power that um, Josh Emmett might have over Taporia probably doesn't matter because they both just crack so freaking hard. Um, the fight with Bryce Mitchell told me a lot about Taporia and another fight that told me a lot about him was, um, his fight with Ryan Hall, 
where he has had momentary lapses with lower fight IQ, like him getting clipped up real bad by, by Jai Herbert. He did show a bunch of grit. He came back and absolutely obliterated Jai Herbert. Um, but his fight again with Ryan Hall, like that is a guy that is super, super dangerous, super dangerous on the ground. And he just took his little moments and then absolutely clubbed them on the ground. Um, that was a super, super impressive performance. Um, even a guy like Damon Jackson, like Damon Jackson is good. Um, completely, completely crushed him, knocked him out in the first round. Body punches galore in that fight. Before that, he, the unanimous decision against Yusuf Salal, um, that was his UFC debut. And Yusuf Salal was kind of highly touted at that point. Um, and I think if they were to fight today, he'd probably get Yusuf Zalal out of there. Yusuf Zalal has since like dropped down to bantamweight and stuff like that. But back to Bryce Mitchell, that arm triangle choke he got on him. Bryce Mitchell is known to be a high, high level BJJ practitioner, high level wrestler. And Tapuria crushed him on the feet, absolutely crushed him. And when to hit the ground, not only was he... Not only did he have a higher, you know, a higher level of wrestling and jujitsu in that moment, but he just seemed to be stronger. There were moments where he was just he would just kind of fold Mitchell in half and beat the shit out of him um, and then got him in an arm triangle from top. Just a typical big, strong, athletic guy type of submission, you know, something that you see someone like Islam do to people. Um, Tapuria is just a wrecking ball. He is durable. Shown that in the past, super durable. Do I think he can take big punches from someone like Josh Emmett? Probably not, but I don't think anyone can really take big punches from someone like Josh Emmett. He's a super concussive puncher. Um, Josh Emmett, coming from Uriah Faber's camp, he's got really good wrestling. That's what he came up as, but he's 38. He hasn't wrestled in a long time. He did wrestle a little bit against Yair, but that was the, you know one time in recently where we saw that wrinkle and he kind of did it out of desperation. Um, good anti-wrestler as well. I think if Topuria presses the wrestling against Josh Emmett and he gets Josh Emmett on his back, Emmett could have problems. I think punching in the pocket is going to be Josh Emmett's, um, probably most successful place where he can, you know, use hooks to try to line up that big overhand that he has. His overhand is devastating. Go back and rewatch that. Michael Johnson fight where he just freaking killed him. Um, and, and he's hit so many people with that shot. Um, but if you look at the Dan Ige fight, Dan Ige is super, super durable. No one's ever got Dan Ige out of there, but he was hitting Dan Ige with that shot and, and Dan Ige was able to absorb it. Um, Ilya's footwork is also really good. His boxing, I think just getting in and out using angles, L-stepping, things like that, um, is better than Emmett. Both of them are kind of front foot guys, but I would say that Josh Emmett is definitely a little bit more willing to take the back foot. Um, Ilya Tapuria kind of reminds me of someone like Armin Sarukian, a young guy that's just super high-leveled, super athletic, got good power, good boxing, good jujitsu. I think the more Ilya grows and fights these guys up higher in the division, he's just going to really hone his fight IQ and really hone his, his abilities and, and just kind of stick to what he's good at. And for him, he's, he's good at everything. He's a great boxer, um, super big power too. And you don't see many guys that can have a plan a and plan B be so close to each other. Um, 
I almost wish Ilya would lean on his grappling a little bit more. And I think he's going to have to lean on that. This is a five round fight. Um, we haven't seen him fight five rounds in the UFC. Um, the way I see this fight going is I could totally see Josh Emmett, them getting into the pocket, Ilya winning a lot of winning a lot of exchanges in the pocket just because of his superior hand speed. But I could see there being moments of defensive lapses where he's relying on his offense too much and he might forget his defense where, where Emmett could line him up and crack him. But I think Taporia can just kind of put the pressure on him. Um can kind of put the pressure on him, uh, mix up his grappling. I, I think if he can land those body punches, uh, Emmett has shown to be durable. We haven't, we saw Yair really hurt him to the body with kicks. Um, but there was moments where he was like folded over with body shots. And I think Toporia is an incredible body puncher. Um, maybe mix some body punches in there, really take the wind out of Josh Emmett's sale, sales. And then at that point, really press your wrestling. Just be careful striking. Um, with someone like Emmett, but I'm going to lean Toporia in this fight. I really like Toporia too. I love his game. Um, he is a guy that can be a threat to Volkanovsky and any of those dudes up there. Um, but I would not be surprised. We have seen Toporia hurt by Jai Herbert. I would not be surprised if Emmett, you know, loses two thirds of the boxing exchanges, but then just clips him. Josh Emmett absolutely cracks and he could send you to the land of wind and ghost. That's not a dude you want to get hit by. Um, kind of crazy odds again. Um, Ilya Taporia minus 300, 310, you know, uh, definitely one to watch. Next fight I want to talk about is the uh, Amanda Hibas fight versus Macy Barber. Uh, both of them coming off of wins. One of them coming off of a really impressive win. The other one coming off of a fight that not a lot of people think that, um, she won. And I, I talked about this in the second segment. We were talking about MMA judging with Dan Mergliata, um, who is a known ref, but he was switched into a judging role for some reason. And he scored that fight for Macy Barber. That fight was against Andrea Lee. Um, I personally thought Andrea Lee won the fight. And I think if you go to MMA decisions, eight people, eight, eight people scored it for Lee and, and was a nine scored it for Barber or whatever. So basically split down the middle if you go to MMA decisions. Um, but that's highly contested. And this is kind of similar to Macy Barber's fight with Miranda Maverick, um, where she won or lost the decision, however you guys see it. But close either way. Um, Amanda Hebos, though, that fight she had with Viviani Araujo, super impressive. Viviani is a, a very large, muscular, super physical woman for the division. And, and Hebos has moved up from strawweight. Um, Hebos had a lot of success in the striking in this fight. Still defensively flawed. That's Hebos's number one issue is her striking defense is, is poor. And it's not, not only is it poor, but she's one of those people that can get rattled pretty quick on the fleet, on the feet where, you know, she's confident and she'll bite down and go. She's tough, but she seems to be someone that just does not wear shots extremely well. Punches, you know, seem to bother her as they would probably bother me. Sorry, sip of water. Um, but she kind of just boxed Viviani's ears off, hurt her multiple times, looked great there. Um, looked really, really, looked really, really impressive in that fight. And do I think that getting on the front foot against someone like Macy Barber, who also likes to get on the front foot, could get her in trouble? Maybe, but I don't think Barber, number one, Barber really struggles with range. She's known to be one of those girls that will, you know, 
do a lot of Hayas, someone like Caitlin Chikagian at range where she throws a lot of strikes from just too far away. Um, and I don't think she's nearly the counter puncher. Someone like he is. Um, sorry that Marina Rodriguez is, uh, the odds on this fight. Let me look real quick because I had them down when I did my write-ups for this, but they seem to have shifted. So I will refresh. Okay, odds on the fight. Hebus actually has uh, grown a little bit of a favorite here. She's a minus 170. Mind you, I am recording this on Sunday, uh, June 18th. So these odds are are definitely subject to change and probably will change. Um, Barbara comes back at plus 145. I agree with the odds on this fight. Um, Hebus has dealt with really physical opponents prior to this, you know, Viviani Araujo being one of them. And the other one that really comes to me is the Mackenzie Dern fight where she, Mackenzie Dern is a super physical athlete. Like that's one thing she really relies on is just her physicality, her strength, her power. She really likes to get on the front foot and push that on people similar to what Barbara can like to try to do. Um, and she just outworked out grappled kind of crushed Mackenzie Dern. Um, and I see her probably just doing that to barber um barber likes to take the front foot push forward throw combinations get people up against the cage crush them on the cage she has pretty good kicks i don't like barber's striking defense like at all she keeps her head straight up and down she'll try to pull back on shots um and and hebus is pretty heavy-handed like that showed up in her last fight and her plan b her grappling is really really good um do I think Barbara will try to take the front foot? Yes. Do I think she'll probably get tagged up with shots that are going to be harder than she expects from Hebos? Um, also, yes. I can see again Hebos walking onto shots because she just pressures for it and her defense is poor. Um, but Barbara doesn't have the best striking defense. And if you look at, you know, Barbara's finishes, like her finishes over Jillian Robertson, those are girls that can kind of be. Jillian Robertson is a grappler. She's not a comfortable striker. She does not wear damage at all. And she's kind of willing to take the back foot. JJ Aldridge, JJ Aldridge had a lot of success against Macy Barber. Um, but Macy Barber also made her wilt against the cage and, you know, hit her, stopped her with a barrage of punches. I just don't see Hebos doing that. Hebos is such a willing front foot fighter, almost to her detriment. Um, but I just don't think Barber's going to be able to make her pay for it. Um, I want to take a look at Hebos's record really quickly. Um, it, her loss to Caitlin Chikagian, that was via split decision, May 14th of 2022. So it's been over a year since since that loss. And then she, she did lose back in 2021. But again, that's over two years ago. To Rodriguez before that, Paige Van Zant arm barred her, beat Randa Marcos. That Mackenzie Dern win was impressive. She's just looked great all throughout all throughout her UFC. The only stain on her record is that Marina Rodriguez loss. Um Macy Barber did kind of get outboxed and beat up by Grosso, but Grosso has shown, you know, Grosso's the champion of that division. 
the uh, biggest stain on her record is that Roxanne Modafferi fight where she kind of, you know, blew up her leg and was losing pretty cleanly up until that. Um, and then took the microphone and was pretty gross on the mic. But again, like Marina Rodriguez is not Hannah Cyphers. She's not JJ Aldridge and she's not Jillian Robertson. She is just as good of a grappler as Jillian Robertson, but she's a way better boxer. We'll get on the front foot. I see that. Marina Rodriguez is, sorry, Amanda Hibas's, uh jab. Just kind of giving Barber a lot of problems. Barber's not going to be able to get on the front foot. I could see Hebus also mixing in her grappling. Um, Barber has a good top game, but I don't know how good her get-ups are. I don't think her her grappling, her jujitsu could keep up with someone like Hebus. Um, so I'm going to pick Hebus in this fight. Um, do I think Hebus might get touched up a little bit? Yes, because she does in every fight, but that's just what makes it fun. Um, two favorites in a row. Jeez. Um, Last fight I want to go over is one that's all the way down, all the way down on the prelims. Like it's the second, it's the second fight after the curtain jerker, but it's a Tatsuro Taira, um, 23 year old from Japan versus Clayton Rodriguez, the 27 year old from Brazil. Um, Tatsuro Taira, another guy that's got a 13 and 0 record, pretty impressive, young kid. Uh, Clayton Rodriguez, he's 27 again with an eight and two record. Arguably, those two losses, they both come via split decision, one outside of the UFC, one against CJ Vergara, which is a, a similar opponent that they both have. You could argue that he won both of those fights, and he could be 10-0. and 0. Uh, Seven of his eight wins come via finish, mostly knockouts, one, uh, submission tossed in there. Tatsuro Tyra has three fights, three wins in the UFC, uh, decision against uh, Carlos Candelario in his debut, and then two wins back-to-back. One via armbar, one via triangle armbar. Super impressive. Tatsuro Taira um, takes some risks on the feet, but he's pretty technically sound there defensively, which is where he wants to, you know, he doesn't want to strike. He, he's mainly a grappler. High level, high level grappling, high level BJJ, great submissions. And I'm not even going to call it BJJ because it's not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's, he's from Japan and that's where he's schooled. Um, really, really good, good ground game all around. Um, the Carlos Candelario fight gives me a little questions when he matches up with someone like Clayton Rodriguez. Um, Clayton just came off of a, a vicious drubbing of Shannon Ross less than a minute, just fucking crushed him. Um, and that's what Clayton Rodriguez is capable of. He's one of the bigger flyweights. He's, he's a freak athlete and saying someone is a freak athlete is huge down in that division. Um, full of freak athletes. Like everyone at 125 is a freaking athlete. Anyone that's good down there. Um, Clayton's really long, great boxing, super. Just if he gets you hurt, he's he's a finisher. That's what he does. Um, Tatsuro is a much more measured guy. Um, he he wants to get you down. He wants to be methodical. But the Carlos Candelario fight kind of worries me. Because Clayton is much faster, much more scrambly, much more explosive than Condelario. And Condelario is an MMA veteran. He's definitely more witty, um, very good scrambler himself. But Tatsuro Tyra couldn't get him out of there, and he kind of let him hang around. And he's not nearly as dangerous as Clayton. He he did he did completely outgrapple Candelario, but I think letting someone like Clayton Rodriguez linger around for a while is just dangerous in general. Um, Odds on that fight is 
Clayton is an underdog. He's a plus 250. Tetsuro Tyra coming back at minus 300. So another big three to one favorite. Um, these shiny records, I think, are probably skewing the odds a bit again uh, because I just don't think Tetsuro Tyra should be a minus 300 against Clayton. I think he should be maybe a minus 200. Um, and Clayton should probably be like a plus 160, plus 180. Um, it's hard to pick against someone that is such like a nip tuck grappler where like when Tatsuro is on the ground, he's not a Charles Oliveira type of guy where, you know, for Charles Oliveira, you know, there has been a lot of rewards with the risks he takes, but there has also been some downfall with the risks he takes on the ground, you know, like, Charles Oliveira, a guy like him is, is extremely willing to go there because he leans on it and he's willing to take those risks to do crazy offensive things. But that's just not Tatsura Tyra's game like at all on the mat. He He's very um, just lead blanket, like very controlling. will take submissions when they're there. He, he's got such a high level and such high fight IQ for someone that's so young. Um, and then him being from Japan, the UFC definitely seems to be getting behind him. I don't know if this is the most favorable matchup for him. I think they should have matched him up with someone like Jimmy Flick or, or, or something, you know, something like that. Or maybe, you know, uh, Zaga Zumagulov is fighting before him on the curtain jerk or maybe match him up with someone like Zagas. Um, Clayton is just really dangerous. He's got so much power. Could I see Clayton getting out wrestled, but then just hurting Tyra at some moment and finishing him and swarming him. Yes, I could. Um, in this fight, you kind of have to pick Tatsuro because it's hard to go against the grappler. Um, Clayton did have moments against CJ Vergara where once he gassed out, you know, he did show some holes in his game. And I think that's also probably the reason why the odds are skewed um, so far in the way that they are. But man, that Shannon Ross fight, his last time out, Clayton just seemed to be on a mission. He seems so big and so explosive. And I would not put it past him to just go out there and hurt Tyra right away. The, the first three minutes of this fight is going to be very telling um, to where if Tatsuro can get the grappling and enforce the grappling right away and, and kind of take the wind out of his sails. I know I've used that twice, but I think someone like Clayton, that's a big thing you need to do. You need to get on top of him. You need to wet blanket him. You need to control him right away. And then once he gets tired, you know, you can take him down, force him to make a mistake and then maybe choke him out. Um, Two arm bars in a row for uh, Tyra is really impressive too, especially in the UFC. Like you just don't see arm bars in men's MMA very often, especially at flyweight, which has got a ton of high level guys, especially in the UFC, which is crazy. Um, the kid's good. This is a fight to watch, guys. Um, there's a bunch of other fights on this card that are good too, but this one I, I hand selected because I do think it's something that's worth um, worth watching. Real quick, I'll just grab the card and. I'll go over a couple other fights that I think are, are worth watching. Um, Brendan Allen versus Bruno Silva. I was going to go over that fight with you guys, but I, I figured, you know, everyone listening to this knows who Brendan Allen is, knows who Bruno Silva is. They're the ones that are opening the main card. Um, great fight there. Before that, Neil Magny versus Phil Rowe, like the two tallest dudes at welterweight. Um, Austin Lane is making his, his UFC debut and the UFC is going to try to push the hell out of him because he's a former NFL player. He's fighting Justin Toffa. Justin Toffa is probably going to knock him out. Uh, Randy Brown is back. Um, did they just get all the tallest welterweights and put them on one card? 
<laughs> um, <laughs> Randy Brown's fighting Wellington Terman. Wellington Terman is making his welterweight debut. He's moved down. Um, Tabitha Ritchie versus the aforementioned Jillian Robertson. That should be a good fight. Um, Tabitha Ritchie is pretty freaking good, but Jillian Robertson seems to be a menace down at 115. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Trevor Peak is back against uh, Jose Marscal. Trevor Peak had that crazy finish where he was throwing hammer fist from range. <laughs> Just Trevor Peak's a crazy dude. Jamal Emmers, Jack Jens, Jack Jenkins. That's another good fight. Um, and then, you know, Zaga Zumagulov is finally coming back and maybe he can get a win. He's fighting Joshua Van. Um, there's a lot to look forward to. It's, it's early. If you're on my side of the country, it, it's early. If you're on my side of the world period, um, I think they start at eight 30 in the morning, but tune into these fights guys. Um, that's really it for the show. I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. Thanks again, sure dog for having me on this platform. If you guys have any questions or anything to say, and you're watching this on YouTube, um, please go ahead and comment, like subscribe, do all those things. I'll get back to you guys in the comments. And then I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Happy father's day late. Cause this is going to drop on Tuesday, but this is on father's day. So happy father's day and enjoy the fights.